Hello, everybody, and welcome to Socks on Tap. I am Johnny Nani, joined tonight by Tony Marchese and our guy NWI Steve. Gentlemen, how are we doing this fine Thursday evening? It's about time to crack them. Hey, I'm already ahead of you. Mine's open. Doing damn well, fellas. Good to get on here and talk some socks, as always. Yeah, uh, always is, Steve. Uh, it's good. We, You know, last time Tony and Buzz and I did one of these, we talked about, you know, the different combinations um, that, that we've had on these shows before. And, you know, us three have done one together. I think you two and Buzz have done one together. Um, and then there's been a whole slew of people. Andrew Kinsler's mixed in there. It's been just Tony and Buzz one weekend. Um, but I kind of like it. I kind of like the, you know, keeping the voices fresh. That's uh, kind of what it's going to be throughout the season. So people getting a little taste of that in the off season. Um, obviously, we'll have, you know, plenty of our mainstays and all three of us will be on this plenty uh, throughout the season. But um, I just thought it was a little cool uh, interlude and preview for what's coming in 2020. And we're going to be talking about what's coming in 2020 with a guest here on the show, guys. Yeah, we've been uh, we've actually been bringing some guests onto this show now. Um, we started off with uh, Scott Merkin, um, and well, I guess we should rewind that. Uh, Steve, you were a guest on this show uh, during the season, sure. and so was uh, Unprotected Socks. Uh, then uh, then we had Scott Merkin on. We also had Justin Havens from Starting Nine Barstool on uh, on our last Sunday Fun Day. We're going to continue the guest theme here tonight. Um, and this this gentleman who's coming on tonight, very well versed in predicting things that uh, may happen in 2020. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Tone. Uh, I would definitely say a uh, very knowledgeable person to talk to uh, on the subject. I don't think we could get a better one on here. So uh, without further ado, I think it is time to bring our guest on, guys. Absolutely. We'll do it. And now we're back. We're joined by our guest. It is Dan Zimborski, senior writer at Fangraphs and ESPN contributor and the developer of Fangraphs Zips. So, uh, Dan, first of all, thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to us here on Socks on Tap tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing tonight? Excellent, Dan. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, uh, Steve was uh, kind enough to reach out and kind of set this thing up for us. Um, just thanks for coming on, man. No, I'm sure we have fun. It's 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 never really a bad evening when you're talking baseball. Uh, that's very I mean, true. That's that's very <laughs> true right there. I, I mean, I spring agree. training's opening. I mean, it's it's a good time of the year. It hasn't been a particularly snowy one for me, at least. I'm I'm in Ohio at the moment, so I don't know really how bad your winter has been. But actually, I've had a pretty nice winter. No digging, and I hate digging. It's been relatively mild so far. You know, we got we got a couple of inches of snow overnight here, but nothing too bad. But, you know, yeah, to your point, I mean, for the most part, this winter has been relatively mild here. So I think we're all just hopeful that uh, seven weeks from today, the bad stuff stays away and we're able to get baseball started on the south side without uh, any weather delays. I wouldn't count on that, Steve. <laughs> I've already I've already taken the day after opening day off, and I don't know if you have done the same, Steve, but I would I would advise you to do so. Of course, got to got to build a net off there, right there. You have to. Yeah, yeah, I got to have the safety net there. So, um, Dan. Let's get into a little bit of your background, your personal background, what you do. Um, obviously, I listed off a couple of the sites that you contribute to, but um, tell us in your own words here. Well, I'm I'm a sabermetrics guy. I've been doing this now for about 20 years, so I'm one of the old guys now at, at this point. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I, I worked from ESPN full-time from 2010 to 2018, joined Fangraphs in 2018, 
before uh, ESPN, I blogged a lot. I consulted for teams uh, from a data standpoint going back to, I guess my first one was 2004. I was one of those guys who Moneyball made employable, which, which, is, which is always a nice thing. Awesome. So you said you worked at ESPN. We just had another former ESPN guy on this show on Sunday in Justin Havens. Do you remember Justin? Yeah, he's, he's a barstool now. Uh, he did a lot on uh, – I met him in 2010, I think, when I was at Bristol, and he was doing stuff for uh, uh, Baseball Tonight when, you know, they actually had Baseball Tonight more than once a week <laughs> during a game. Uh, no, good guy, good guy. Uh, him and Mark Simon I, I hung out with a lot at that time. Nice. That's awesome. So, Dan, you know, really before we kind of dig into a lot of the Zips projections, um, from following you on Twitter, you know, we share a couple of common interests. And for me, you know, I'm 35 going on 36. So I grew up in, you know, the late 90s and came of age during the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. I know you're still (laughs) a big wrestling guy uh, from following you on Twitter. And I love your uh, creative player modes that you'll do and that you'll put on uh, in your tweets with the various players in the full uniform and everything. So one question I've really got to ask here, it's 1997, it's December. Dan Zaborski's a free agent. Is he going to the original NWO or DX? Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to Eddie Guerrero in the Latino world order, the LWO. Oh man. <laughs> they, had, they had the parka. They had, I mean, they had the, if they had done more with it, it would have been, a, it would have been a lot of fun. The chairman was such an underrated character. Oh, my God. I love that guy. <laughs> uh, he, he had a successor that actually got killed, I think, recently in a, in a match in Mexico. That was like, actually a different La Parca. Well, that La was, Parca I, too, I think it yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. It was not not the La Parca that we all came to know and love in WCW there. We're, we're only missing buzz for this conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, he'd be, he's going to be, uh, you know, bummed that he's doing bulls instead of socks here tonight. Uh, we had another uh, panelist that's usually on this podcast here, Dan. Uh, he would absolutely love this conversation that you and Steve are having. Um, I hate to drive it away from it, but we are here to talk hey, I, baseball. I, I can segue it. You see, the difference between wrestling and baseball for me is that my favorite, my favorite baseball player did not kill his family, which is kind of, you know, what happened in wrestling with Chris Benoit. Kyle Ripken never did that. So that's that's one thing that baseball has over wrestling. Hey, there now, you go. Now one last one last wrestling. This got wrestling. this got really deep really quick. <laughs> Dan, when AJ Pierzynski made his you know brief cameos in TNA in two thousand and five two thousand and six, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't wanted a chance at that point to hit AJ Pierzynski? Especially over that with like a gar- with a garbage can or a steel chair. I mean, I'm sure guys are chomping at the bit for that. Yeah, I, I wonder if the Astros are self-aware enough to do a cameo with a trash can at some point. <laughs> oh, they should. They should. All right, Dan, uh, let's get into uh, a little bit of just the basic background here on Zips. Uh, you know, say for if you're talking to someone that uh, had no idea about it, uh, they're a casual fan. First of all, tell us what they are and how they came about. Uh, we can start well, there. Well, the Zips projection system is a computer projection system, so it takes a lot of data. It estimates a baseline for players. Uh, it compares each player to every other player in baseball history uh, using a similar methodology to calculate a baseline at every point in their careers uh, to try to get kind of, you know, you want to compare, you know, 30-year-old plotting sluggers to other 30-year-old plotting sluggers, not to, you know, fast 22-year-old shortstops. It'd be weird if you were 
uh, trying to guess how Adam Dunn would age and you're looking at Tim Anderson or something. That would be just a little weird. And the way I look at it is there's no like experimental data with baseball. You can't put everybody like in a test tube and simulate them that way. All we know about baseball history is what came before, essentially. So I, I, I use this approach. Uh, Pakoda uses that approach. Uh, and in the 80s, Elias Baseball Analysts, they had a little system that used that approach. Uh, and then, you know, I try to guess the future. I'm wrong a lot because the predicting the future is really, really hard. Uh, and I try to be the least terrible way of projecting the future than, than the others. That's my goal every year, to be not quite as bad. So if you were trying to explain, Dan, why Zip's projections are important to a casual fan, what would you what would you tell them? Well, it's always hard for a casual fan, but what projections represent is they are an objective view of what <clears throat> the data say about a player. And it's not all-encompassing. There's always some things that a projection system can't capture. Someone has a shoulder injury they were pitching through. Someone has a new pitch. These are things that are hard for a projection system to capture. But it's very useful to have a starting point, like what does the data say? And my goal is for Zips to be the best estimate derived from the data. I'm, I like to think I'm clever at the kinds of data I can use in my model. Uh, I mean, you know, everyone likes to think they're clever. Uh, and then work from there. And... It's, it's not perfect. The error bars are huge. Uh, an example I use is when predicting teams. If you knew for a fact that every team was a 500 team and that every game was a coin flip, you would still miss uh, six teams a year on average by at least eight games. From, And that's with perfect knowledge of this kind of thing, which you never have. Pro projecting the future is hard. Any kind of endeavor is going to have, you know, a ceiling in how good you're going to do it at, at, at this kind of activity. Uh, but, you know, I, I think people get use out of it, and that's kind of what, what's, what, what the goal is. So two questions, Dan, that, that I have for you relating to Zips. So obviously today was an interesting day on Twitter with the release of the Pakoda projections. Um, how does your methodology for developing Zips vary from Pakoda and some of the other algorithms that are out there and, and some of the other projection systems? Uh, well, the tricky part is I can explain how I do things, but it's hard to explain all the secret sauce that Pakoda has or Steamer has. Uh, in a lot of ways, I'm making educated guesses about what they're doing. And in some ways, they're probably less likely to let me know exactly how it works and say some random other person that works for BP. Uh, so I, I do think there's some things. I don't think Steamer uses comparisons the same way I do. I'm not sure Pakoda goes as deep into the minor leagues for their comparisons. If you look at their comparables, at least in the past, I haven't looked at it this year, uh, you, you don't really get like, you know, a lot of 60s and 70s minor leaguers, uh, which, which Zips does. But it, it, is, it is hard to tell exactly what they're doing that I'm not. I mean, the goal is to beat each other, but we always, are, even though we're all, we're all friendly with each other, but we don't really give the, away the, 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 all the secrets. So one of the one of the points that you bring up there that was relatively interesting and something I wanted to touch on, and you talk about minor leaguers and using some of the data to try to project those. Uh, one of the biggest differences between your Zips projections and Pakoda was with Luis Robert. Uh, your Zips projection had Luis Robert at 2.3 wins above replacement in 2020. Pakoda had Robert at over four. So for players like Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, for example, who have no major league service time, how difficult is it for you and for Zips then ultimately to have an accurate forecast of what they will be in their first uh, taste of Major League Baseball? What, what it comes down to is when you're projecting a minor leaguer, 
I don't want to say the word projection again, but there's a lot of speculation about where they're going. Uh, a four-win projection assumes some kind of growth from this year, which is likely, but it doesn't always happen. Uh, happen. Uh, I think back in some unfortunate projections for Lasting's Village, which I'd like to forget about. Uh, and that that's a, I, I I wonder uh, where they're where they're differing because one of the things that Zips does uh, with minor league defensive data is I actually chart every ball hit uh, using uh, MLB's game day data, uh, and I estimate a probability for every ball hit being caught by a fielder. Uh, and there could be some defensive differences because Zip saw uh, him, him as a plus 21 outfielder in the minors this year, which is which actually was the second best in the minors. Someone from the Reds was top. I, I forget his name offhand. Uh, it was kind of an obscure prospect. Uh, but Zips is also very conservative with that because the data isn't great. Uh, I mean, position-based data in the major leagues has a lot of variability, a lot of error. And when we're talking minor leagues and estimating it, it's, it's even greater. Johnny uh, so likes I'm... all those grainy highlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, wish, I wish that the situation was better than that. If, if I had a time machine, you could go back and install you know, pitch FX in the minor leagues in 1980. <laughs> Although, you know, you probably should do other things with the time machine than get yourself better <laughs> baseball data. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious because uh, I don't know uh, if the difference in the projections is defense or offense. And that, that, that could change my answer. Yeah, so uh, go, going off um, uh, White Sox here, um, lo- looking at it, this one that I'm looking at right now was released before a couple of key acquisitions here, especially in the rotation. So um, how how does adding guys like Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez to the mix uh, affect these White Sox zips projections that I'm looking at here? Well, they're especially good for a team like the White Sox because you add Dallas Keuchel to the Dodgers. It's, it's not a major addition to the team essentially because Really, uh, where the White Sox are still in the rebuilding process is kind of depth in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you look at the starters, I think I have something like seven of the nine starters in the uh, lineup as above average, but you start losing players to injury or underperformance or just nasty surprises, and that can drop off fairly quickly. Uh, the back in the original projections with the uh, December whatever roster, the back of the rotation didn't look great. The plan B's didn't look great. Having a Dallas Keuchel in there, having Gio Gonzalez in there, that that changes it quite a bit because it, it's raised their floor a lot and it's increased the odds that they can have five above-average starters or at least four above-average starters. And that's not necessarily something that the White Sox had two months ago, three months ago now, I guess. Staying, staying with the White Sox, Dan, I'm looking at these projections myself right now and I noticed you have Mazzara listed at... 0.8 or, or, or 0.8 here. Was that a reference to section 108 when you made these projections? <laughs> uh, no, uh, I was, the funny thing about Mazzara is uh, that every year uh, for ESPN, they always, one of my, one of my things they had <laughs> me uh, do every uh, year was, you know, do a breakout uh, list. And every year I would, I would decide that, that Mazzara is on the verge of breaking out. I still think he could have a breakout season. I just don't want to be the one predicting it anymore uh, because I've been burned too much. And, you know, what twice once once bitten, twice shy. Dan, how do players coming back from injuries, um, how, do, how does the Zips forecasting model take that into account, especially with a guy like Michael Kopech, who only made a handful of 
starts in 2018, uh, three of which were shortened due to rain. And then you have a guy like Carlos Rodon, who's uh, going into his sixth major league season coming off of Tommy John. So for both of those guys coming off of Tommy John, they're obviously going to have their innings limitations this year. How difficult is it for Zips then to um, kind of forecast what type of production level they're going to get out of those players coming back from injury? Uh, well, some injuries are easier than others. Zips does explicitly look at injuries, but it has to look at in a very general sense. The nice thing about Tommy John's surgery is that it's a surgery that's been done quite a lot at this point, and it's pretty much done the same way. Uh, so Zips does have history to look at for Tommy John's surgeries. But when you start talking, you know, knee injuries, leg injuries, shoulder injuries, Zips is very kind of generic about that. It looks as shoulder injuries and how much time missing as, as one piece. It doesn't know really the difference between a rotator cuff or an impingement or, or anything like that because the, the data we have for injuries historically, it, it's just not that granular. And we just don't have a basis to make, you know, a projection that makes sense other than a very general level. Uh, so some things like Tommy John surgery, I think Zips does a pretty good job on. Uh, projecting playing time, of course, is a different matter, but I've, I've never really been focused on that because when you're projecting playing time, you're, you're talking about a lot of things the projection system isn't aware of. I'm mostly trying to get the, the qualitative projection correct. Then speaking of someone uh, coming back from an injury here, uh, someone that I'm really intrigued by is Michael Kopech here. Um, and I see a 1.9 war here, and I would love to, um, you know, see that happen or be even higher, uh, if possible. But um, any insight into him specifically? I know we're kind of, you know, you do a bunch of these, and we're kind of getting into nitty gritty here. Uh, but for for our sake here, because it's definitely a name that we've been keeping an eye on. Obviously, missed all of last season uh, at the very end of the 18th season as well. Um, any insight into Michael Kopech in well, in relation to these Zips projections? Well, one of the one of the very interesting things about Michael Kopech is he's one of the <clears> few <throat> players that Zips projects that it because Zips, I mean, Zips doesn't project, you know, pretty little bell curves or anything uh, because players aren't like that. Uh, but uh, Zips actually, when it when it projects Michael Kopech, it projects a bimodal distribution. And for people who aren't familiar with that, it's essentially like a it's like like a two humped distribution uh, that Zips is very, you know thinks that Kopech will either break out in a major way in a few years or be a major bust. There's not a lot of middle ground for him. I'm, I'm optimistic about Kopech. Zips has been. Uh, I mean, it's still projecting him, you know, with limited major league time, a year off for to Tommy John surgery. It's still projecting a 100 ERA plus, which is, you know, it's above average for a starting pitcher. It was usually around 95 to 98, depending on the season. So I think it's an encouraging projection. Uh, you just kind of hope that you know he hits the jackpot instead of busting dan i want to i want to take a step back off of white Sox, and and you've mentioned some of the different things that can go wrong and i think you mentioned a name a little bit earlier that uh, you were completely wrong on when you make these projections if you can think back who is the player you were the most wrong on in your in your entire career trying to make these projections uh i think Batanza's in in new york uh, part of that is I still was projecting him as a starter and they had moved him to a reliever before the season, but I was horribly wrong on him. Uh, I, even if I go back and, and projected him as a relief picture, I still would have been terribly off because he was so raw, uh, when, when, when he was a prospect <clears throat> and he succeeded in the majors so quickly. Uh, so, but you know, I'm always happy when a guy exceeds his projections because one it's cool to see a guy do that do something you didn't think they could do 
And two, you learn the most when you're wrong about a player. You don't really learn anything when you're right about a player. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the projections I most worried about last year was Shane Bieber's projection. Because Zips was saying he's a top 15 starting pitcher. And I was a little uneasy about that coming into the season because that wasn't the, the consensus on Bieber. Uh, and it worked out, but I didn't really learn anything because it worked out and it was correct. If it had been wrong, then I could say, hey, why, why did it look at Bieber and like Bieber and, and, and it didn't work out? So um, We would have been happy over here with that. Yeah, we would have with that. <laughs> well, I mean, the Indians, you, you got your wish for Jose Ramirez for like half a year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, I, was, that was that was that was embarrassing. Well, and, and here that's a good segue. Here we look around the AL Central, uh, Dan. Uh, what, what can you tell us about some of the teams that the White Sox are going to be facing here for a majority of their schedule? Uh, well, I, I think the White Sox, in a lot of ways, are in a similar position to the Twins last year, where up and up until they brought in Josh Donaldson, the Twins kind of had a rather lackluster winter. And the Indians, of course, ignored their outfield for a second consecutive winter. Uh, last year, Cleveland didn't do anything in the winter. They thought they had a huge edge over the Minnesota Twins. So they got kind of lackadaisical, kind of overconfident. And, and the, the Twins made a few pretty solid signings and snuck up on them very quickly. And un until the Twins got Donaldson, uh, I think that this winter was similar in that way and that the Indians weren't really doing anything. The Sox were, I mean, not the Sox, the Twins weren't really doing anything. And the Sox were the team that's sneaking up. And I don't think the Sox are quite as good as the as the Indians and Twins right now, but they're close enough that not a lot has to go wrong for the, the top two teams and not a lot has to go right for the White Sox to, to put them right there. So, Dan, one of the things that I've been kind of harping on a little bit is that I think teams like the Sox that have prospect laden rosters at the at the major league level with extremely high upside when we're talking about guys like robert still mancada jimenez um Kopech, and and some others there's tremendously high ceilings with, with some of these players what what's the probability that you would see the Sox make a significant jump and out perform their projections similar to what we saw maybe from, you know, the 2015 Astros or 2018 Atlanta Braves. Uh, the Braves are actually a team that I talked about a lot going into 2018. I didn't, I didn't project them to win 90 games or anything, but I said, you know, you have a lot of guys who are very talented, who are 21, 22, 23. It doesn't take a lot of, it doesn't take a lot of, like, a lot of good roles to, to, to surge forward. It's harder to do that with an established team. Uh, rebuilding teams, should love risk because risk is the friend of a rebuilding team and the enemy of a contender. Uh, I, I think it's, it's very good for the white Sox that they have these upside guys because that's where they'll surprise. They're, they're more happy surprises because like, imagine the white Sox are an 85 win team right now, just for the sake of it. If they have a chance to be a 92 win team, it doesn't really matter if there's also a chance they will be an 82 win team. Uh, because really, you just want the playoff appearances. If you don't make the playoffs, who cares if it's 82 or 85 wins? Uh, I, I, I think that the White Sox, they do have a lot of upside. And even Mazzara has some upside. Uh, if he were a 30-year-old player that, that the White Sox were throwing out, it would, be, it would look a lot worse. But while I don't think he will hit w that well, he could. And it's not that crazy that he would. Uh, he's a player who's shown a lot of raw power. It's just never kind of translated onto the field. Uh, so I like that the White Sox are being aggressive and getting these guys into the lineup. They're not going to, you know, tinker around and, 
and get a veteran stopgap for you know Madrigal or any of this. Uh, so I, I like what they what, what they're doing. So uh, one thing that I really like that the White Sox did, and I've dubbed it on this show and a couple others, um, my favorite offseason signing, Yasmani Grandal. Uh, and it's kind of, been yeah. a, kind of been a running theme here uh, across several episodes because that was obviously the first signing of the winter and the, kind of the first signing for all baseball, obviously, was the first White Sox one. But that was before Thanksgiving. Uh, that got the ball rolling uh, in a sense, obviously, kind of dulled before uh, winter meetings and then picked back up. But – Talk to us about the Yasmani Grandal effect. How much is he going to help this team? It's a it's a big big addition, and you know, I mean, James McCann did a did a did a pretty cromulent job for for the White Sox in 2019, but he's not Grandal. Zips would have Zips projected Grandal that the computer would have given him a hundred million dollars. So it was pretty happy with the projection. He's probably the best. I mean, he's in the best three catchers in baseball right now. He's a good bet to be the all-star for the American League. Uh, I, I think he, he really changes the complexion of the team. And he's not really old or anything. Uh, I, I think that maybe at the end of the contract, you start to worry him about a little defensively. You know, the knees start to feel the innings. But he doesn't have as many innings as some catchers his age do. So I'm really optimistic about Grandal. I, I think it was a terrific signing. Uh, uh, one of the best that the team could have made in, the, in this situation. Dan, who's one player on the Sox that, as you look at the projections right now, that you are thinking will outperform them? And who's one player that you look at the projections and think, I don't know if I got this one right uh, to the downside? Let's see. If Before I did the projection, I probably would have said, I think Giolito would exceed his projection. But Zips actually gave him a pretty solid projection, uh, better than I, than I expected coming into the, uh, the projection season. Uh, I think that there's a chance that Jimenez could, he already got a pretty good offensive projection, but I, I think there's still a chance that he has more upside defense than Zips thinks because Zips projecting him as a negative eight corner outfielder, I believe. Let me get this open. Uh, I, I, I really <laughs> think he, he, he can exceed that. Uh, and he, he, he could, you know, have a 300 batting average this year and maybe walk more. Uh, Zips might be underselling Tim Anderson a bit. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, his batting average and balls in play, it'll come down to a degree because, you know, he's not Ty Cobb plus 30%. Uh, but, uh, it, it, that's always a little tricky trying to get that right number for a player, especially when they don't have, you know, 10 years in the majors. Uh, it, Zips projects him, I think a 330 something batting average of balls in play. But if, if he's a 350, all of a sudden he's a 290, 320, 460 guy, which, which is a, a huge bonus. Dan, once the Nolan Arenado to the White Sox trade is announced, what is this team <laughs> looking at win-wise? Uh, I used 85 as kind of the, the uh, example, and that's probably about where I am right now. I never quite know because I have to have all the projections done and the assumptions before the season for, for playing time and what happens before then. Uh, I think it's an 85-win team with upside, which I think people would be happy with at the moment. I don't think anyone's saying, man, 85 with upside. Uh, it's it's not a 90 team yet. Not, it's not a 90 win team yet. So Nolan gets them there is what we're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one would get them there. Uh, let's see. Who would you, I guess, I guess that Mazzara sits and then someone goes to right field. I guess Makata goes to right for Nolan. What do you, 
Well, we we know that Nolan's probably not happening, but we're 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 just playing on some some stuff that's going around Twitter today. I'm not sure if you if you've seen that. I haven't have. I haven't seen the White Sox. I the Rockies. Uh, the Rockies they cause me so many headaches. It's just Steve, most... this seems like Steve, this seems like a good spot for you to fill Dan in on at MLB Intel. Yeah. So th- so there is a what I'm assuming is probably a quasi burner account called MLB Intel that um, floated a rumor yes or early this morning that Arenado nixed a trade to an East Coast team last night and then a couple hours later said that a trade for Arenado was in place but wasn't aware of the team and then a few more hours go by and it's the White Sox who are the team that has the deal in place and he just has to waive his no trade clause followed by another tweet stating that Arenado is going to talk to White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf before making a decision on waiving his no trade clause, which I mean, totally reasonable to think that, you know, 83 year old Jerry Reinsdorf is going to talk to a player (laughs) to try to get him to waive his no trade clause. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. I I haven't heard anything to that effect. Uh, But then again, most of the people I've talked with in the last 36 hours, it's been Mookie, 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 really Mookie since last week, because the Mookie buzz for the Dodgers probably started last Thursday or so. Uh, this is the account that somehow had some sort of information on that trade. I, and then that's why this is blown up in, in White Sox Twitter um, a little bit more than it should have. Well, you know, I only I always say I, for 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 uh, the, for the rumors, I only trust wet butt 23, the the, the breaker. Of <laughs> him and, uh, what was it? Katy Perry's booty hole. Yep. Yes. <laughs> You know they they had the inside scoop, and so I had to I had I had to see it confirmed by by wet butt. Yeah, yeah, uh, we got to get our reputable sources uh, the, in here on this one. <laughs> only, only only Reddit rumors are the, allowed. I, I imagine that if the Rockies had a trade in place, that I don't think the no trade clause waving would be that big a deal because behind the scenes, the reports of him being unhappy with the Rockies are possibly even louder than than the public ones. Nobody in baseball thinks Arenado is happy. Nobody thinks the Rockies are competent. Uh, the the opt out thing, just that disaster, that that self inflicted wound. But that that's that's complaining for the Rockies podcast. So you had hinted at uh, you know you had said what was kind of in your Twitterverse uh, and in your information flow in the past couple like you know days here as thirty six hours like you had said uh, the Mookie Betts deal and uh, while not official yet um, obviously you guys like Ken Rosenthal are you know talking about it uh, and then you know kind of drawing back with uh, medicals on the side of the Red Sox um, and that's a whole you know different conversation we don't have to go down but say say that does end up happening what the hell else do the Dodgers need to do to finally win one here. Not play a cheating well, Astros team is that it? <laughs> that, I mean that would that would probably help. It's it's tough because the way the the playoffs are cons- are, are are designed, you you have a lot of great teams in the playoffs, and most of them are going to be failures. Uh, you you only always have a few teams that you know they 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 run the gauntlet, the the Royals, the Giants, every other year for a while, uh, the Yankees a while back. But that's really hard to do, and that's that's. That's the frustrating team, frust- frustrating thing for a team like the Dodgers because it's hard to make a big move to get yourself better in the playoffs. You can make a big move to make yourself establish at the top of the division, but if you're not winning playoff games and you have the best team, it's really, really hard to get better at winning playoff games. So I think in the end, they just need to keep going until they do it. 
Yeah, I like that answer. And this kind of leads me into my next thing. And this is not not insulting your work or the work that any of these sites do, because it's all great data to have. Um, but as you just don't, don't even you can take it out of the scope of your work here. Obviously, it's a little tied in. But how much do you uh, put weight into an eye test or, uh, you know, just watching teams throughout the season, watching trends, all of that? Um, you know, you talk about stuff that maybe uh, computers and the data can't pick up, uh, you know, more generalizing on injuries and that kind of thing. So it, it just you personally consuming baseball, you can take it out of the scope of, of it, putting it into zips, projections, whatever. Um, how, how do you weigh the two? What I've learned uh in, I guess, 20 years of being a sabermetric nerd on the internet and writing, one of the things I've learned is the eye test is useful most in most situations where you don't have data that does it better. And I think when you talk about a guy, you know, changing his swing, experimenting with a new pitch, playing through a sore hamstring, those are things that the eye test is really, really good at. I'm, I'm much better at projecting what Dusty Baker will will do and how he'll use his team than a than a computer is, and I think the eye test is very important for a lot of those. Uh, but I I think for a lot of things that people think the eye test is good for, it's not really. I mean, I'd love if we had better defensive data, but it doesn't actually make. I mean, you can scout a player and look at his tools, but performance is really really hard to see with the eye test. Uh, an example I brought up recently was Marcelo Zuno. Uh, and if you look at, at the defensive data, uh, MLB's data, whoever you use, there's, there's a lot of places that do it now. Uh, if, you, if you eliminate all of the, the balls hit to Marcelo Zuna last year, there were either he had less than a 10% chance of getting or more than a 90% chance of getting. There were only like 27 balls hit to him all season, which there was even a question. So if you're watching Ozuna, you essentially have to pick the 27 plays over six months that actually matter. And then you have to compare it to those two dozen plays a year that actually separate good fielders from bad fielders. And it's, it's a really hard task to do. And I'd love if, if my eyes could, could, you know, judge that. I could judge, you know, a guy's fast, gets a good jump, gets a good read. That I could judge. But performance is different. And generally data will do a better job than that. So I like the eye test for the things that eyes do well, and I like data for the things that data do well. Big, long observations over months and months, stats do so much better than, than eyes can, and there's just no way to get around that. Dan, that leads me to a question, and this is a hot topic within White Sox Twitter uh, most of last year and, and going into this year in relation to the bullpen. Uh, we've got a closer by the name of Alex Calamay who lights it up in safe situations and in non-safe situations looks like dog shit, which from stats, people can argue that he is not as good of a pitcher as he is perceived to be in those safe situations. How do you quantify something like Alex Calamay where he's absolutely locked down in safe situations, but then when he doesn't have that one or two run lead just doesn't have it. How do you quantify that adrenaline for a guy like Alex Calame in your projections? Uh, it, it's always tricky because one of the things I found with this particular question is generally players don't perform differently. Uh, when you look at save versus non-save situations, I've, I've separated it out with leverage index uh, and some of the players uh, that people perceive as, as, you know, wilting under pressure 
it they did just fine under other leverage high leverage index situations and they still pitch poorly in low leverage index save situations uh i think frankie rodriguez is the best example of that just to pull a random name out of my head uh i i, I think i think the problem is uh what if someone's say a unicorn essentially the one guy who is that and that that that's really really hard to do i think sometimes a pitcher can get in a position where they're not in a good mental state like mark Wohler's when he you know suddenly lost the strike zone for two years and had mystery injuries. Uh, it, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm inclined to think, generally speaking, long-term, if you just trust a guy, because there's also kind of a self-fulfilling thing. If you keep talking about a guy as always failing in, in certain situations, you're also kind of giving him you know, negative reinforcement. Uh, I think in the end, you put your best pictures on the field, you put your best players on the field, and you just hope for the best, I think, is the, in the long run, is just the way to do it, usually. Dan, so one of the remaining questions I have, um, over the course of the time that you have been releasing your Zips projections, have you kept any kind of data as far as what your accuracy level has been on predicting team records over that time frame there? And, and if you have, um, where, where do you fall um, in relation to some of the other projection systems? Uh, well, I, I I've done pretty well with the uh, with the win projections. Uh, USA Today had me winning them twice in a row a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I think I do a good job. Uh, the the one problem is I I do track all these things, but when you ask me how well I do, it's it's a insurmountable conflict of interest because there's a lot of ways to look at it. You know, you can look at correlation, you can look at you know average, you know root mean square error or, or anything like that. And people tend to believe the ones they do better at. Uh, so every year I give I give my data to anybody who asks and anyone who's doing research, uh, and I let them deal with it. Zips does as well as as the other projection systems with the with the Vegas with the odds. And I, I, I do beat Vegas because I do bet Vegas. But I look for particular opportunities. I don't bet every team. That would be crazy. So you're not gonna bet the Royals this year? I, I didn't see what they're. I haven't even looked at them. What, what is? Have you seen their over under? Um. Uh, let's I, see. Are Are you even legally allowed to place wagers, Dan? Like that's my next question for you. Like, are you legally allowed to place wagers? Vegas has to know who you are. I don't know. I've. It's never come up before. I have. I never actually given that much thought. Uh, I've actually had a couple, an awkward time with uh, the uh, award voting. I don't do prop bets for NL awards anymore uh, because uh, it, it would have been awkward because I had bet uh, Christian Yelich to, to uh, be the MVP uh, a couple years ago. And then I realized, wait, what happens if I vote for the NL MVP this year? It, 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 luckily, I, I, I voted for, uh, I think that I did the Cy Young that year. I don't remember. But yeah, that, that actually does bring up an interesting point. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I've actually consulted for for for, uh, for Vegas companies uh, in the past on some of this too. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't actually. I've never actually considered that part before. Am I going to get I, banned from vetting now? <laughs> I don't know, but we've got a good beard for you. His name's Shy Sox Janda. You should hit him up on Twitter. I I, I think I I think I think the key is is I'm not betting huge amounts. I'm not like betting, you know. Like, you know, I didn't bet $100,000 on the Indians to, to take the under. So 
Next time I'm placing the bet, I know who I'm going to before I make that wager. <laughs> no, I like to. I like. I usually bet like in two hundred dollar blocks. Nothing huge. Uh, you know, sometimes it works out. I uh, uh, ESPN used to let me do uh, a gambling picks piece every year before the uh, year, and I was I was pretty happy on the uh, the that first Max Scherzer uh, Cy Young uh, when he was in Detroit. I was I was pretty pleased at that because I I got two hundred at twenty two to one. I think. So for our gambling folks, if 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 I don't know the odds right now, but if if somebody wants to go put some money on the White Sox to make the playoffs or, or uh, go to the World Series or anything, are you advising them to make that bet? Well, it, it depends. Let's see. Well, I'm actually their over is eighty four point five at at negative one fifteen. It's it's too close. See, you get in trouble when you bet everything. Because then you're betting things where you have no insight and in, in beating the crowd. Because you're not really playing so much against the casinos or the books. You're, you're kind of playing against public perception because they set the, the uh, over-unders where they make the most money, ideally. Blue Jays under 75.5? I would take the over on that. Sorry, I, I, I pulled him up just now on Odd Shark, and so I'm, I'm looking at him. <laughs> Vladdy going to have a big year then? Is that what you're saying? I would, uh, Royals, I'd actually, I think I would actually bet the over on the Royals. They have enough that they could be like, you know, a 73 win team, like a 73 win team with no upside whatsoever, because that's the weird team they've put together. But I think they'll, 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 they'll beat 65 and a half wins. Uh, I, uh, yeah, we better I'm just going to sit here and look at, at, at teams all night. <laughs> Yeah, we got your I just put him for, down for, the. I just put him down the rabbit hole. I'm sorry. That, that's my bad. That's my bad. Yeah, uh, guys, you have, you have any other questions for him? Uh, yes, I, 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 I could pick his brain all night. I, I was first of all, you'd send him off in, like you said, a tangent. Uh, now he's not going to be able to make his next guest spot and not finish up the other projections that he has to get to tonight. Uh, so we'll be letting him go here, so we can uh, balance both of those here. But uh, one last question that I have, and then I'll leave it off for Steve and Tony for you guys to follow up uh, with anything uh, you have left for Dan here. But let's take this all in totality. Obviously, you're going to rely on your projections here, and I want you to. Um, but then also, you know, just what you feel about, you know, these players and, you know, like you said, using some of the eye test here, uh, kind of, uh, obviously we're not even into spring training yet. So you don't really have that basis for, uh, the, some of these guys yet, but, um, let's get a, you know, how are you feeling about the white Sox this year? And could you give us a prediction of where you think they sit in the standings in the AL central, uh, and even in the whole, uh, AL wildcard picture, uh, come, you know, end of game one sixty two. Okay, uh, well, from a projection standpoint, as I said, it's looking about 85 wins. But if you held a gun to my head and, and said, Dan, you have to either pick over that or under that. You can't just agree. Uh, first, that's kind of a weird thing to do with, with gunpoint to make a baseball writer make a decision on a team. Uh, I'd I take the over, I think, if forced to do it because there's just enough unknown out there. Enough is the projection system capturing Kopech's injury. It properly is. Tim Anderson's uh, batting average of balls in play going to be better than it expects. I think that most of the what-ifs benefit the White Sox. Uh, so I would probably personally take the over on that. I've got another question for him. You talked about uh, a little bit earlier, uh, you know, you can predict what Dusty Baker's going to do with his <laughs> roster better than you can predict performance from from certain players. How much does Ricky Renteria's bunting affect this Zips projection? Is that even taken into account? I've been searching personally to figure out, like, 
where I can find a database of, of bunt attempts and, and non uh, bunt situations that Ricky's done. I can't find it anywhere on the internet. You probably have access to it. I know Chris Kampka probably has access to it too. Um, but how much does that go into this? Uh, well, not really terribly much simply because Zips is looking at the past and it doesn't really make a prediction about how a manager will use players. Uh, but there's, there's kind of good news there is that tactics in game aren't really that important in the big picture, as weird as that sounds. Uh, I, I think a manager... You just gave case... Ricky Renteria too much ammo, Dan. Please, <laughs> please just pull that back. <laughs> uh, I, I think compared... I think, like, you know, an NFL head coach has a lot more influence over what happens during a game than a major league manager does. Uh, I think a lot of the manager's job is pretty much just keeping the team on target, keeping guys from killing each other. Uh, that's what Joe Torre did so well with the Yankees for all those years. Uh, but a lot of the tactical things don't really make a huge difference. It's, it usually comes down to the player execution. Uh, in the end, you can the difference between like an ideal optimized lineup and like the worst lineup you can imagine with the same nine players is pitifully small. It's like two or three wins a year. And that's just from the absolute best one to the absolute worst one. Uh, so essentially, I usually see a job as a man of the manager as, you know, as I said, keeping people from killing each other, having a non crazy lineup, get the right players on the field and don't stand in the way of their success. And if a manager does that, no matter how bad they are tactically, they'll, they'll probably things will work out. This, is, this might be a, a stolen thunder question from Steve, but if, if you were constructing the White Sox lineup, Dan, who would you bat lead off? Uh, hmm. Say yes, money, Grundahl. Say it. Do it. It would be a lot of fun. I do have him leading the the team in in uh, on base percentage. It's it, it's very convincing because Moncada probably will hit for more power than him. Let's go with Grandal, okay? Yeah. Let's do the whole, do the whole Brian Downing thing. That's a win. Favorite guest ever. Wow. I, 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 Steve, I was Steve just had so much validation right there. It's incredible. I'm in the camp too. I love it. I love it. You just made my night, Dan. So I will, I will close out here. I've got two questions for, I've got one serious one and then one kind of fun one uh, for the serious question. So the Sox schedule to start the year up until about the all-star break has a lot of Royals, Mariners, Tigers, and Orioles. So say they get to the all-star break and they're within two or three games of a wild card. What do you think would be a realistic trade target that this team would really need to prioritize to push towards getting a playoff berth? Well, I, I, I think that when you talk about going for a wild card, I think where they are in their so-called success cycle, I mean, they're still in the early of it, early part of it. I think you do want to make an aggressive addition, but I think you want to make it a, a player that will be around for more than, you know, three months. I don't think you want to make a two-month or three-month acquisition. If you have to play, pay to get a player that is going to be there in, in 2021 and 2022, I think then you can really, you know, pay through the nose for it. Uh, I, 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 I think, you know, you, you talked about Nolan Arenado, but if the Rockies are bad this year, and I think they will be, there's a chance that that could be a reality. And then, of course, you know, it depends on, on who falls out of the uh, uh, out of the playoffs. Uh, it is disappointing. Uh, 
I, I, I think, like, what if the Astros crashed and burned? It, it, it's certainly possible. Maybe you talk with them about Granky. Wouldn't Granky be fun to have for another year and a half in the line in the in the rotation? Maybe you, maybe the Cubs give up and, and, and start to you trade off some of their pictures. Maybe maybe the Rockies want to trade Charlie Blackman and you want to put him uh, in right field because Bazaar is not working. There's a lot of interesting things to do, but it's going to come down to who's out. But I do think that it pays to be aggressive in a in a way that they helps them win in 2020 and in the future. All right, so so picking on the Rockies there a little bit. This leads me to my my <laughs> fun here. So you don't think they're going to win ninety four games based off of what uh, Dick Mullenford uh, said? That broke my brain for like a day. All I could think of was interpolation, and like we, I asked him to interpolate. He said he called an analytics staff. Who calls an analytics staff? Like he's got twelve of them, and he calls one of them up. I I I, I don't I don't know as. I can't take these things. I'm too old for this now. So I know you had a lot. You had a lot of fun with that. So my my question ultimately is, and I know you have a lot of fun at the Rockies' expense, and you have a lot of fun, much to my enjoyment, at the Royals' expense as well. (laughs) Which team do you enjoy trolling more? I I think the Royals because uh, they have a couple people in the front office who I know don't like me, including one who blocked me on Twitter when after he was ranting at me, I told him that any future tweets, any future DMs are just going to be public because he sent me this, this, he sent me a picture of his, of his world series ring. Uh, and like, I had like 12 DMs from him in a row in my, in my Twitter inbox. So I'm, like, so I'm just like, no, I, if, if you, if you keep doing this, I'm just going to publish all this. So stop doing it. I, I think you guys are incompetent. Uh, and this isn't changing my mind. Uh, so then he blocked me on Twitter. For the record, this is very much an anti-Royals podcast. Yeah, see, there, there's some executives that they that they think that uh, every you know guy who does stats is just begging to you know lick their boots and get a job. And like, you know, I've consulted. I like working in media. I don't really care what you think, and I'm going to say what I think, and I think you guys are incompetent, and I'll, I'll say it to your face. I have, I have my BBWA card. You can't kick me out of the games for that. I can walk right into the, into the press box every game, and nothing you can do. That's why having credentials is so valuable, even beyond you know the cool stuff. So, Dan, I've got one last one for you, and I didn't even know this existed until I just scrolled your Twitter feed just now. Um, MLB released their spring training hats uh, just oh God, a few days ago and the, the the white Sox hat is terrible and you and you you did a really good job of uh tweeting some stuff you actually retweeted one of our guys that we hang out with austin dizick uh his his fixed white Sox uh logo it was a much better one um we we know austin very well we we, we hang out with him we drink beers we we watch Sox games with him I didn't. I didn't really actually look at the Padres logo until just now on your Twitter feed, and I need. I need your your ruling on this. What's worse, the Padres swastika hat or the White Sox, uh, as we call it over at OnTap Sportsnet? What did, what did Dan Wildman say? It looks like a production error. Uh, what's yeah, worse? It does. <clears throat> I don't know. I think. I think you're never doing well when when you uh, when you have a swastika. And uh, of course, some people are mad at me, saying like, "You're making everything political." It's like, I'm not, I'm not angry and outraged about it. I think that they're stupid for not seeing this because 
it's an important aspect of I, I think I already said this once that that you don't want anything in, in, in your graphics. I mean, I'm not like a designer, but I know you don't want anything that looks like genitalia. And you don't want anything that looks like a swastika. Uh, and you want to get someone looking at it because I mean, not everybody sees the Padre swastika, but that was the first thing I said. And I looked on Twitter to see, I mean, I looked up Padre swastika to see if other people were seeing it. And a lot of people were seeing the Padre swastika. Oh man, I just saw it. That's bad. <laughs> it's, but the whole concept makes no sense. It's saying, okay, we need, we're going to make hats and we're going to just cram every team has two logos that will just cram together. And sometimes it works. Like, if you look at the Toronto one. Yeah, that one's nice. I like that yeah, one. Because it's a, a, a maple leaf actually has some size that you could put something behind. You can't stuff things inside thin, narrow letters. Uh, so you have, like, the Sox logo just thrown in with the, with, with the, with the, with the guy hitting. Uh, and it just, I, I described it looking like a guy tangled up in vines. Which is kind of yeah. a stupid. It was, and I don't know. It's like nobody looked at these things before they decided to sell them. I, I, I... Uh, just for the record, since we got to educate you, uh, we're on a White Sox podcast. That logo is called the Batterman. The Batterman. Yeah. Yes. The more you know. Is it a person or he's, is it just the, the Batterman? Yeah, the person is the Batterman, and then the, it's the Gothic Sox logo is the one that's on the regular hats. Now, was there anyone they modeled that after? Because you like like, the, like Major League Baseball and Pete Rose. Uh... That's. That's a very good question. I'm not sure on that. I just do. That's what it was called. And they've used that on spring training hats for about, what, three, three four years now? Three, four years now. And I, I love those. Like, I love the Batterman logo. It goes back to 83. Yeah. I think that that logo is probably the best White Sox logo that's out there. And I'm normally the, the, the guy that buys a new hat every spring for the season. And it's normally the spring training Batterman for, like, the last three years. And this is the first one that I will not buy. Uh, because th- they could have done so much better with this. Take the Sox logo and just put it on his chest. That that, that was my thing. Like, put it on his chest, yeah, shrink it's... it down, do do something with that. Or take the other alternate logo, which is just the sock within the diamond, and, and put that in there instead of the script font that they have. I think it would have looked better. Steve's got Steve's rocking it right now um, uh, on the back of that hat right there. The, the sock logo would have been better placed within there than than the script font socks um that that's my thoughts on it but i didn't even i didn't even really realize how bad the padres one was <laughs> until i just like scrolled your twitter feed one last time to see if i had anything else to ask you that have, was have you looked at the wow. uh have, have you looked at the or have you looked at the orioles one yeah i have i have not they stuck the oriole head it, it had it's an oriole body of the swinging oriole with the head just kind of crammed in there for yeah, so it's like he has no neck, basically. Yeah, it's it's, uh, yeah. I I kind of want to ask the White Sox to see if there's uh if if there's a story about the Batterman. I mean, I'd love to hear if it was like some random White Sox hitter from '83. Like, oh no, we we modeled after Vance Law or something. Like, Here's what <laughs> I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna say it was modeled after Belton Bill Melton because he was the first White Sox player to ever lead the American League in home runs. So I'm gonna say that's where the inspiration was. That, that, that's a good backstory. You could probably get someone to believe it, even not knowing if it's true or not. I love I love to do that. Uh, uh, I used to uh, tell people that uh, Brad Brock uh, was was the candy was a candy heir to the Brock's <laughs> candy fortune because it's just one of those random facts that nobody would bother to make up a fact about Brad Brock. But like I did that, like yeah, he, oh no, he's he's a he's a he's a candy heir. 
It's like George Costanza said. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe it. Uh, I think it's the people to believe uh, that that Melky was short for uh, Melkinton for a while. That was <laughs> See, if people don't have access to like baseball reference, like at that time, it you the lies you could do are a little better. I used to do that with my little sister. I I once got uh, her to believe we we're at war with uh, Turkey. That was fun. Uh, all right, everyone. That was Dan Zimborski, uh, you know, <laughs> Fangraph Zips guy and professional troll. All right, that was it. No, I uh, Dan. <laughs> it's okay. Half a journalism is trolling. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I was going to say, how many questions did you actually give us honest answers to uh, during this podcast? You know, the, the whole like 85 win thing just might be him trolling us and, and the rest of White Sox Twitter that's going to listen to this. Um, his, his real thoughts are that we're still like somewhere in the 72 range. My, my, my trolling tends to be more randomized than that. Uh, like, uh, oh, God. Uh, uh, I, I was like Josh Nelson's podcast a few years ago, and I was telling a story about how I was mean to a kid at a grocery store, and, and the people in the comments were so mad at me. And uh, uh, it, it was—it's kind of a silly story, but I was in the—I was in the uh, the grocery store, and you know there was a little kid that was un 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 unwatched, just running up and down the aisles, like knocking things off the thing, and he runs into my cart and he looks at me and says, "You're stupid." <laughs> and I said, well, at least my parents aren't getting divorced. And he looked at me. He was just that right age where where he would believe it, but he wouldn't think about why would this guy know that. And he, his face just got red and he ran away and I didn't see him again. I'm like, yes. And and the, uh, the other people in the, that listen to the podcast were like, Dad, you're the worst person ever. I'm like, well, it was it amused me. Uh, guys, uh, I think we got to let Dan go. Uh, he's got some other stuff to get to. So uh, final final thoughts here before we send him off. I just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come on here, Dan. This has been a lot of fun. Talk zips and just uh, talk jokes in general, you know, trolling Royals fans and everything. It's been a good time overall. Thanks again for coming. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Dan, thank you very much. I'm glad that you qualified Alex Calame as a unicorn. Um, it's a battle that I've taken up with White Sox Twitter myself. Uh, I, I love Alex Calame. Uh, that's just that's just me. Um, I like seeing fireworks at the end of a game. And normally, if we're at home and Alex Calame comes in, we're seeing fireworks. So I'll let my unicorn stay. I, I understand the, the arguments from the flip side, but I, I'm glad you validated that. Um, Dan, it's it's was awesome to have you on here. You're one of my favorite late-night Twitter follows. Um, thanks, man. I uh, hope to have you on again. Absolutely. And maybe the White Sox will sign Fernando Rodney. You'll get some 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 late inning fireworks. Oh, there you go. Shoot the arrow, baby. All right. Just real quick. Uh, give everybody, if they might not follow you already, just give them your social media so they know where to find you and then your work uh, at, the, at a website, too. Well, you can find me at Fangraphs.com, uh, contributing still to ESPN.com, and at Twitter at DZimborski. That's D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. All right. Perfect. We're all done with the housekeeping. Dan, we will let you go. Thank you so much again. And that was Dan Saborski from Fangraphs. Guys, that was an excellent conversation with Dan about everything Fangraphs. We got into some wrestling there for a minute. Again, like I said earlier, uh, Buzz is probably going to uh, feel like he missed out on this one. And, and Johnny talked about the combinations that we've had on this show. Um, wrong night, I guess, for Buzz to uh, to take off. But uh, he had Bulls tonight. Um, so be sure to go and check out Buzz on Bulls on Tap if you're listening to the show and you uh, 
uh, a Bulls fan. Uh, he's got some Bulls coverage tonight after, uh, what was that, a Garp? Uh, Gar Foreman. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, John, John Paxson. John Paxson. John Paxson. Yeah. It was brutal. Uh, yeah, so there was, there was some bull stuff that, that went down today. There so was some bullshit, literally. Yeah, some bulls shit that went down today. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be fired up over there. Um, not to completely plug our own show, but we're going to plug our own show here on ONTAP Sportsnet. Um, guys, that was some good stuff with Dan. What are your, what are your closing thoughts here? Uh, before we uh, end this little show. Yasmani Grandal for a leadoff. He confirmed it. I yes. sound smart. Steve sounds smart for suggesting it. I got on the bandwagon. I love it. No, I just really, I, I would love to see him because like you, he had mentioned, uh, highest on base percentage projection. So um, I like it. And Grandal has done nothing in the past to dissuade me. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that will decline, you know, at a drastic rate this year. So I would love to see it, especially to start. So. I just really appreciate uh, Dan's willingness and love to troll the Royals and their fans as someone who just adamantly hates them. I, I wholeheartedly support his choices on that. And I just think he's a absolutely hilarious Twitter follow um, and kind of circling back to the, some of the things that we talked about earlier here with some of the pairings and some of the combinations. Um, you guys might not get this reference, but I know Buzz will hear this and he'll he'll understand it. We're kind of operating under Wolfpack rules where it's anything goes. We decide who's on any given night it could be any three of us so it's uh it's pretty sweet from that standpoint yeah this is this is an awesome platform that i think we've built here um guys i really appreciate you both of you for coming on tonight um it's awesome talking white Sox baseball with you uh we ran a little thread today from the socks on tap account about lot b and lot b tailgates and some of the best moments that happened in 2019 i am super excited myself to make even more moments happen in 2020 um i'm sure that you i'm sure you saw it steve johnny i know you saw it um tons of good times out there uh one of my favorites though if i must comment on it was the one where Sometimes you do a little too much 108ing down in section 108, <laughs> and your friends will be there to find you in lobby at the end of the game. Uh, that 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 was my favorite one that we had out there today. I don't know about you guys. If you want to give a little favorite lot B moment, uh, and then we're going to talk a little about a bit about what we have planned for lot B this year. I agree with you that that was one of my favorites. Uh, just that moment from that night, that was a lot of fun. You kind of had to be there and be in the 108 and, you know, be hanging out with, uh, uh, you know, Buzz and us throughout the night. Buzz, you know, it gets a little crazy. He buzzes around the ballpark. That's what he does. So, yeah, he ended up finding us. So that was a fun one. But uh, from the stuff that was in that thread there, um, obviously, your wife's jello shots are unbelievable. That, that kind of kicks the whole thing off there at the opening day tailgate. But, I did not know that you had it, uh, and you had kind of told me that uh, it was some uh, uncovered, uh, you know, different GIF and video uh, sort of content that we we didn't discover throughout the year until just now. Uh, But when I say White Sox forever before I check on the beer, and it's just, you know, it's a GIF, so you can't hear it, but I'm mouthing it, and you can make it out very clearly. So I thought that was hilarious. Steve? Yeah, I think uh, watching watching you guys dance (laughs) post-game, I mean, (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. That was in no way, shape, or form an endorsement of white people dancing. I mean. Oh, it should be a deterrent. Yeah. 
yeah, it's uh, but it serves to yikes. <laughs> what was it? What was that modeled after? Was that the nine Windows ninety eight yeah, Windows ninety five launch. launch with Bill yeah. Gates? Go and watch yeah. it. You need to make yeah, comparison. You need to get, you need to go and make the comparison. So, I'm I'm half tempted to make you watch that right now. Just download or go to YouTube and search uh, Bill Gates launch. Start me up. Yeah. So. Uh, j- yeah. Just a little background on that. The, that thread was from that day. It, it was that one where, you know, they'd been away for like a week and a half, almost two weeks since they had had a home game. And we had finally all gotten back there and we went to that first game back. And um, the like earlier in the day, I'd said, you know, this is a live look at the Sox on tap crew when they get in a lot beaten night. And then. You know, you got Steve Ballmer, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah. and Bill Gates, and Bill they're Gates, just like yeah. clapping to start yeah, me off as they're releasing like the, new, around. the new Windows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, so then I put it in a thread. That was the first one, and then after the game, when obviously we're all you know nice and you know one oh eight ed, I guess lubricated. Um, yeah, one oh eight ed. Then that 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 happened, but it, hilarious, good times. I'm glad it can make people laugh, uh, and you know make people a little disgusted too, I guess, but uh, <laughs> that might be the only do. time I've ever danced on camera. I'm just going to say it that. Probably right should now. Be the only. Yes, it should be the only, it will be the only, unless we get more white Sox wins. I will dance to start me up as we close down lot B. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that was the one that you picked out there, Steve. All right, well, a lot, that's a lot of good time. A lot of good we'll times overall you, though, we'll guys. We'll get you dancing in the next video. Listen, I understand my limitations as, as a an extremely white man with limited coordination and uh, ability. I steer clear of that sort of thing. Anyway, good good times overall, though. Uh, obviously, there are plenty in that thread. Go check it out on the Socks on Tap Twitter account if you haven't yet. Um, but uh, that being said, many more good times to come this year. Uh, obviously, going to be doing it big. Plenty of times we'll be announcing those. Uh, we've been kind of teasing this, and it's not a tease anymore. It is happening in opening day tailgate. We'll get official details on time and all that uh, as it gets a little bit closer here. But plan on, if you're coming out to opening day, just look for the flag. That's the best thing we can give you right now. Get there as early as possible. Look for the flag. We'll have some beers, but bring your own, too, so that way everybody has some and we can all pass them around and have a grand old time and get ready for a great season of White Sox baseball. So that was my announcement. Other announcement, before the season actually starts, uh, Steve and I will both be going down to spring training, unfortunately, at separate times, but at the same time, that also gives us a a longer span of coverage. Um, So, Steve, uh, hit him with your dates that you're going to be down in Glendale. Well, I will be flying out to Phoenix on Sunday, March the 14th, and I will be returning on Tuesday night, March the 17th. So a little bit of a short uh, short trip there, but uh, going to be able to go out there, catch about uh, four games out there during that time frame there. So I should come back with some good coverage and some good content. Yep, absolutely. So uh, make sure you're following Steve on Twitter. It's at NWI underscore Steve for that. He'll be sure he'll be post- posting plenty of uh, pictures, videos, all that good stuff from down there uh, at those spring training games. Uh, me, I'm right back to back with him uh, that day that he's like coming back. Uh, just that next day, I'm going out Wednesday, March 18th, heading out to uh, Arizona. My first game will be that 19th, and I'm seeing four um, throughout that span, uh, taking off that Sunday to come back home. But I am hitting that Sunday game before I come back on the 22nd, I believe that is is um so that'll round it out for the actual games down in glendale i know they have those two uh exhibition ones at um chase field down in arizona against the diamondbacks at the actual stadium not at the facilities anymore but um should be seeing close to uh opening day style lineups at least for the first couple innings uh for those when me and steve are down there so uh follow us for updates my twitter handle is at nani johnny n-o-n-n-i-e-j-o-n-n-i-e so uh tony you got anything else I mean, I'm not cool and tough, apparently, because I'm not going down to spring training. 
Um, I'm uh, I'm taking a trip to Atlanta in February, but nobody cares about that um, because there's no White Sox baseball there. Did you Um, you get your Keuchel jersey yet to wear around him there? I did not get my Keuchel jersey to wear around down there, but if I do run into any Atlanta Braves fans, I will make sure to... uh, to let them know that I'm a White Sox fan and we now have Dallas Keuchel. So um, going down there for my brother's 21st birthday should be a good weekend. I'm going to get absolutely obliterated, um, and, and that's my spring trip. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the uh, the trip that you guys are going to have, so um, I'm a little envious, uh, but I'm still going to have a good time on mine. Um, that's pretty much all I have, guys, but... Uh, Man, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and uh, hear the uh, Nolan Arenado to the White Sox trade announcement. <laughs> um, that's that's all. I mean, Nolan's just so awesome. It's going to be so cool and tough to see him uh, man third base for the White Sox next year. Steve, you got a closing thought? Free ball on Tony's part, so. I mean, how am I going to follow that up? I mean, if if that actually happened, I think I would literally shit a brick in the morning. Pixar didn't happen. Ooh. Don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> All right. As we get away from the ridiculousness, I'll give you something that's concrete, solid, is going to happen. Absolutely, 100%. No doubts about it. Uh, White Sox ballpark mix, volume two, dropping. Day of the first spring training game, which is Saturday, February 22nd. Uh, you'll get to listen to it before you get ready for that first White Sox spring training game. That's it. That does it for this episode of Socks on Tap. We had Dan Zimborski from uh, Fangraphs uh, talking to us about Zips. Uh, a lot of great White Sox talk here. As always, guys, let's close it out how we always do. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. White Sox forever. Yeah.